And we're continuing with our series called New Life. We're looking in this series at, at different encounters that Jesus has with, with people from different walks of life, people who have not yet believed in Jesus, and Jesus in different ways calls these people uh, to put their faith in Him. And so in this series, we're learning what it means to believe in Jesus, and we're learning from Jesus' example how to talk to other people about Him, how to lead people to believe in Jesus. Now, uh, today's message is entitled Caught in the Act. We're going to be looking at a story, The Woman Caught in Adultery, in John chapter 8. But before we get there, let's, let's just do a quick review of what we've looked at so far in this message series. Uh, we began with the story of a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She'd lived a promiscuous life. She'd had five marriages. She was living with another uh, another man she was not married to, and yet Jesus offered her living water, a symbol of eternal life. He called on her to worship in spirit and in truth. Last Sunday, we looked at the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a very different character. He was a leader in the, in the Jewish religion. He was well-respected. He was an authority in the Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus told Nicodemus, that wasn't good enough. You must be born again. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ in order to both see and enter into the kingdom of God. And so we're learning that, that everybody, whether they've lived, quote, a sinful life or they've lived in seeming upright life, they need to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. No one is too far, no one is too... Uh, upright or righteous that they don't need Jesus, and no one is too far gone that Jesus can't save them. But today we're going to be talking about this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Can she be saved, or should she be prosecuted by the Old Testament law? And our takeaway from this whole series should be that we also should not give up on the people around us. Whether they're our relatives, our friends, our family, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to help them find that relationship. Don't think they're okay just because they say they believe in God or, or even go to church. Neither of those things saves you. Everyone needs to make a personal commitment to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. So now we're going to turn our attention to this passage in John chapter 8. And our main points will be directed to believers here this morning. We want to follow Jesus' example of sharing with unbelievers, and that's what he's going to be doing with this woman. And so uh, we believe that this message also speaks to unbelievers because the teaching that Jesus gives this woman uh, can show them how they can believe as well. So as believers, we must share God's truth. I encourage you to follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. So we'll begin uh, in the last verse of John chapter 7. It says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So in John chapter 7, Jesus was teaching people in the temple. He's teaching them about living water again. He's teaching about the Holy Spirit. And after that teaching, the people went home to their houses, but Jesus went to stay on the Mount of Olives. He often went to the mountains to be alone and to pray. What did Jesus pray about? Well, he undoubtedly prayed that, that the Father would show him what to do the next day. 
Although Jesus was and is God, the Gospels make it clear that Jesus often communicated with his Father in prayer. And he says that he only did what the Father told him to do. He only spoke what the Father told him to speak. And so after that night on the Mount of Olives, he came back to the temple and began to teach the people again about God's truth. Now, if you did a summary of the prayers of Jesus in the Bible and the times it talks in the gospel about him praying, either with his disciples or alone, you would conclude he was a man of prayer. And we see this again in John chapter 8. After a busy day teaching, he goes to be alone, alone with God the Father. And think about it this way. If, if Jesus, the Son of God, who never sinned, who lived a perfect life, if he needed to pray on a regular daily basis, how much more do we need to pray? All too often we pursue our own plans. We only pray if we run into trouble. We're going along pretty well and if we hit a roadblock, oh, it's time to pray. But life isn't about simply doing what we want to do. It's about doing what God wants us to do. And the only way we'll know what God wants us to do is by studying God's word and by praying that he can bring that word and apply it to our lives. Now, in these couple verses that we've looked at so far, Jesus' ministry is to teach the people the truth of God. And that's what we're called to do as believers, not just understand God's word for ourselves, but we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, not everyone is called to speak in front of a group of people, but each of us is called to be a witness for Jesus. A witness simply tells what they've experienced what they understand of God's truth, and they share it with other people. They share what Jesus means to them. They share what, who Jesus is. And so I encourage you to pray for opportunities to, to be a witness for Jesus. And if you pray that prayer, God will give you opportunities and then have the courage to take those opportunities and share the truth of God with others that he has put into your life. And pray for the people that you've spoken to be prepared for tough questions verse 3 our story continues the scribes and the pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst of them they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law moses commanded to stone such women so what do you say well we're not told how the jewish leaders found this woman or how she was caught in adultery. But we do know it takes two to commit adultery. And there is no mention of the man by the leaders here in this passage. The law of Moses in Leviticus 20 verse 10 states that both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And so, in fact, in Bible times, it was extremely rare for someone to be caught in the act of adultery. And so scholars believe that most likely the husband conspired with the leaders, the Jewish leaders, to arrange a trap for his wife. The law required at least two witnesses to actually observe the adultery. You couldn't be convicted of a crime without two or three witnesses. And so rather, as these witnesses, and they had to actually observe the adultery, so rather than stopping the sin that they were observing, they were complicit in arranging the trap. Now, Jesus was faced with a tough question. Some believe that the Romans would not allow the Jews at that time to carry out a death sentence. So if Jesus said, stone, get in trouble with the Jews. 
But we're not quite sure because in the book of Acts, Stephen was stoned and nothing particular happened. And so perhaps sometimes it was enforced by the Romans, other times not. But this woman's life was at stake. The Jewish leaders wanted to stone her. On the other hand, Jesus said he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. How would he answer? Next verse says, it tells us a little more about the Jewish leaders. Whoops. I guess that next verse isn't up there, but John 8, 6, it said, This they said to teach him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus wrote down, bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And so we see the motives of the leaders were not simply to carry out the law. They were, they were seeking to trap Jesus. They had this tendency to ask difficult questions where if he answered one way, he'd be in trouble. He answered the other way, he would likewise be in trouble. And so that was the motive. Now, Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground. What did he write on the ground? Well, we believe it must have been something in keeping with what he was going to say. Some believe it was a scripture that would bring conviction to the people that saw it written there on the ground. The leaders had essentially trapped this woman in the, in the, into being caught in adultery and Undoubtedly, they let the man go free. Some believe that Jesus wrote for various reasons. This is obviously speculation, but that he wrote down Genesis 23, 1. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. And so the, the leaders appear to be guilty of setting up a trap for this woman, letting the man go free, all with the view to trapping Jesus into saying something that would get him into trouble. And oftentimes when we are talking to unbelievers, we may face difficult questions. As we study the life of Jesus, we find that, that many questions that were asked of him, he did not answer. Some questions he was asked, he replied with a question. But in this case, we see that Jesus answered the Jewish leader's question. Why? Because this woman's life was hanging in the balance. She might have been stoned by these Jewish leaders. And so his answer was vitally important. And when we face tough questions, when we're talking to people about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, we need to pray and ask God to give us insight. We need to ascertain the motive of the questioner. Are they, are they really seeking the truth or is this simply a question to to get the conversation off topic, which is often the case. And it may not need an answer. We must determine whether God is giving us the answer, whether we have the answer, or sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll do some study and get back to you. The Bible tells us we need to study God's Word so we'll be prepared to answer the questions of people who are genuinely seeking the truth. And it also tells us, the Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit will give us the answers that God has for us as we're seeking to be his witnesses. And so we're learning from Jesus' example here. Uh, we need to seek God for supernatural insight. It says they continued to ask him. These are the Jewish leaders asking Jesus. He stood up and said to, him, to them, 
Let him who is without stone, uh, well, sorry, let him that is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And so whatever Jesus wrote on the ground the first time was not sufficient to satisfy the leaders. And so they, they continued to ask him whether they should stone the woman or not. And finally Jesus answered and said, he who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. Now, Deuteronomy 17.7 indicates there must be two or three witnesses, and the witnesses must be the first to throw the stones. The witnesses should be upstanding people. Now, of course, no one is sinless. Jesus wasn't saying you couldn't have any sin, but the witness must be upstanding people who had not committed, obviously, the same crime as those they were punishing. And Jesus was asking these Jewish leaders to, to examine and search their own consciences. To think back on their own lives. Were they also guilty of sexual sin in one way or another? Well, in verse 8, once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And so Jesus wrote a second time on the ground. Perhaps he wrote another scripture, or some believe that he began to write the sins of the leaders. Perhaps he wrote the names of women that the leaders had sinned with. The impact of Jesus' statement, the impact of his writing on the ground, caused the leaders to be convicted by the Holy Spirit of their own sin. They no longer felt that they could be the ones to cast the stones. The older ones, perhaps a bit wiser, perhaps with a longer history of sin, were the first to leave. And the younger ones ultimately followed the older ones. And they left one by one. And finally there was no one left, just Jesus and the woman. And so the Holy Spirit had given Jesus supernatural insight into the situation, both what was going on with the woman and what was going on with her accusers. And what was Jesus' purpose as he, as he was in this situation, as he was speaking to the leaders? Of course, the woman has not spoken yet in our account. But Jesus' purpose was clear. He wanted to see the life of this woman changed. He wanted to see her saved. And in the same way our purpose in life. Is to see people saved. Our purpose in life is not to see people. Judged for their sins. We must be careful that we do not throw. Verbal stones. At sinners. Now, as I look around. It seems to me the internet is full of people. Throwing verbal stones. Uh, some supposedly in the cause of Christ and others opposed to Christ. Generally don't recommend reading the comment section of anything on the internet anymore because you're going to see stones flying back and forth, the majority uh, in an ungodly fashion. How does God want us to speak? Well, Jesus' words and actions brought, brought conviction to the hearts of the Jewish leaders. He, he spoke the truth in love. 
He brought about God's purpose. And so as we think about our own lives, are, are there those in our life that we know that we are in contact with whose sin irritates us? Or rather than attacking them for their sin, pray for them. They need God's forgiveness. They need to understand that God is a God who forgives. And ask, ask the Lord how you can share the truth of Jesus' forgiveness with them. Let's not get caught up in the, in the constant conflict. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth, but we speak it in love, in a, in a loving way. And we're going to see how Jesus spoke the truth in love. And God worked in the whole situation. Pray about how you can extend grace to the sinner or the unbelievers that we know. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And so Jesus' words, Jesus' actions had, had caused the woman's accusers to leave. Not one of them stayed to condemn her. I believe because they were convicted of their own sins. And Jesus' final words are, are very important and powerful. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus did not question that the woman had been caught in adultery. Even if she'd been set up, she had made a sinful choice to be involved. And most likely, she was set up because she had a lifestyle of adultery. Jesus chose not to condemn her. Jesus chose not to have her stoned. Jesus wanted to give her hope. Jesus commanded her to sin no more. In other words, Jesus condemned the sin. He didn't say what she had done was right, but he extended grace to the sinner. There was hope. There was forgiveness. He was telling her she can be forgiven by believing in him. As she repents, as she turns away from that sin and puts her faith and trust in Jesus, there's a new life. A new life that's different from her old way of life. A new life of righteousness, of purity, and not living in adultery. And so how can we extend grace to those around us? It be, begins by recognizing that we all have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we as believers, we've sinned. We've sinned before we were saved. And we still sin, do we not? We still need God's forgiveness. Now, we don't live a, a lifestyle of sin after sin, but there are times we get caught in sin and we need God's forgiveness. The only reason that we are children of God is not because we're such great people. It's because Jesus has forgiven us. Somebody somewhere, somehow, took the time to tell us about Jesus. It might have been a parent, might have been a friend, might have been a relative, might have been somebody putting something, a Bible somewhere, a tract. But somebody told us about Jesus, and we believed in him. And when we believed, we've been forgiven. And Jesus said, if you've been forgiven, then you are obligated to forgive others rather than condemn them. Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, then we're not forgiven. So as forgiven people, we need to extend God's forgiveness 
to those around us. And when we forgive others, even when people hurt us, even when people insult us, even when people do wrong to us, when we forgive, we are in a position to offer God's grace, to offer God's forgiveness to them. Jesus could have answered the Jewish leaders by saying, yeah, go out and stone the woman, but he didn't. He extended grace to her. And I believe she became a believer. She became a follower of Jesus. She went her way and didn't continue in her lifestyle of sin. And so in today's world, sin is increasing. It's actually being promoted and sometimes celebrated more and more. And there's a temptation as believers to get angry with sinners and to condemn them, either verbally or in our thoughts. And yet, when we do that, we forget that we are sinners as well. We think, well, we're not as bad as them. Well, a sinner is a sinner. We all need forgiveness. And so when we're tempted to lash out at somebody, remember this story. Remember how Jesus treated this woman caught in an act she knew was sinful, everybody knew was sinful. He didn't condemn her, he offered her grace. He offered her a new life. He offered her hope for the future. Jesus didn't say the sin was okay. He didn't celebrate adultery. He said, go and sin no more. May we continue to speak the truth in love, calling on people to be forgiven and saved. And may we be sensitive that sometimes there may be people who feel like that woman. They sin. They, they know they've sinned. They feel like everyone is condemning them. And they're, they're just looking for someone to offer them hope. They're looking for someone to offer them a way out. They're looking for forgiveness. And they don't know where to turn. And God is calling us to offer them grace and forgiveness from Jesus Christ himself. This morning, we want to give an opportunity to any who are not yet believers in Jesus or you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus this morning. In fact, we do this every Sunday so that if anyone is here who needs to pray the prayer can pray it. And also, by now, all of us as believers should be able to lead someone else to Christ uh, by a simple statement, a simple ABC Exact words are not important. What is important are the concepts. A person needs to admit that they've sinned. A person needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus to forgive that sin and then commit their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so let's bow our head to pray. Father, this morning... We admit that we've sinned, God. We've done wrong things. But we believe that Jesus died on the cross, took our sins upon himself that we might be forgiven. And we thank you for that forgiveness. We thank you that he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And we commit our lives. Or we recommit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior each and every day. Father, for those of us as believers, we thank you for this story of, of Jesus' grace extended to this sinful woman. 
We thank you that you've forgiven each one of us as we've believed in your name. And, and we would like to ask you to, for opportunities to share with others the truth of who you are, the truth of your forgiveness. May we not fall into the trap of replying back to those who ridicule you or speak ill of us by replying back in the same spirit. May we gently speak the truth in love. May you give us answers from the Holy Spirit to respond to people or to initiate conversations with people that will lead to lives being changed. May we remember that you've forgiven us. It's not through us being such great people, but you reach down and you open our eyes to see the truth about Jesus. And we pray that you'd use us in our prayers to open the eyes of other people so they might see Jesus as well. God, we pray that you'd make our witness individually more effective, God. Our witness as a church family as well. We pray that you'd give us these opportunities, God, and help us to have the courage to take advantage of them. Show us, God, how to seek you in prayer more and more so that we can see more people saved, more people healed, more people delivered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.